Bears pointed threats, they bluff with scorn. Suicide remarks are torn from the fool's gold mouthpiece. The hollow horn plays wasted words, proves to warn that he not busy being born is busy dying. Temptation's page flies out the door You follow, find yourself at war Watch waterfalls of pity roar You feel to moan, but unlike before You discover that you just be one more person crying So don't fear If you hear A foreign sound To your ear It's all right, Ma. I'm only sighing. As some warn victory, some downfall. Private reasons, great or small, can be seen in the eyes of those that call to make all that should be killed to crawl. While others say, don't hate nothing at all except hatred. Disillusioned words like bullets bark as human gods aim for their mark. Make everything from toy guns that spark to flesh-colored Christs that glow in the dark. It's easy to see without looking too far that not much is really sacred. Preachers preach of evil fates Teachers teach that knowledge weights Can lead to hundred dollar plates Goodness hides behind its gates But even the president of the United States Sometimes must have to stand naked Though the rules of the road Have been lodged It's only people's games That you got to dodge And it's all right, Ma I can make it Advertising signs that con you into thinking you're the one That can do what's never been done That can win what's never been won Meantime, life outside goes on all around you You lose yourself, you reappear, you suddenly find you got nothing to fear. Alone you stand with nobody near when a trembling distant voice unclear startles your sleeping ears to hear that somebody thinks they really found you. A question in your eyes is lit, yet you know there is no answer fit to satisfy and show you not to quit, to keep it in your mind and not forget that it is not he or she or them or it that you belong to. Though the masters make the rules for the wise men and the fools, I got nothing more. To live up to
For them that must bow down to authority that they do not respect in any degree. Who despise their jobs, their destiny. Speak jealously of them that are free. Cultivate what they do to be. Nothing more than something they invest in. While some on principles baptized to strict party platform ties, social clubs and drag disguise, outsiders they can freely criticize, tell nothing's helped you to idolize and say, God bless him. One who sings with his tongue on fire Gargles in the rat race choir Bent out of shape from society's pliers Cares not to come up any higher But rather get you down in a hole that he's in But I mean no harm Nor put fault On anyone Living in a vault But it's all right, Ma If I can't please him Old lady judges watch people in pairs Limited in sex they dare To tell fake morals, insult and stare While money doesn't talk it swears Obscenity, who really cares? Propaganda, all is phony them that defend what they cannot see with killer's pride security it blows the minds most bitterly for them to think death's honesty won't fall upon them naturally life sometimes must get lonely My eyes collide head on with stuffed graveyards, false goals I scuff at pettiness which plays so rough. Walk upside down inside handcuffs, kick my legs to crash it off, say, all right, I've had enough, what else can you show me? And if my thought dreams could be seen, they'd probably put my head in a guillotine but it's all right ma it's life and life only hey everybody welcome to the weekly review with roman feeling low energy this morning this afternoon whenever you're listening perhaps you're listening in the evening perhaps you're listening on another day today happens to be friday may 17th 2019 oof rough week say that pretty much every week and now there's more rough things to report on and perhaps rough is not the best adjective to use however usually it takes me a while before i start swearing and sighing and wanting to throw things <sighs> there we go we'll be getting into some news here some na- national news if one wants to talk about what's in these supposed borders as well as international news and we'll have some music along the way and uh <sighs> oftentimes start off the show with a rant sometimes it's it's well thought out other times more spur of the moment and i'm gonna wait and gather my thoughts a little bit as i wake up a little bit first before i go into anything wow thanks so much for listening in uh we are broadcasting live from mutiny radio here in, in san francisco 
We are on Ohlone land, and one way folks can give back to the land, if you go to uh, Shumi Land Tax, and that's S-H-U-U-M-I Land Tax, you can find that online and find ways to donate and give back to the land that we're on, and that's for folks living in the East Bay, and you can also donate there as well, even if you do not live in the East Bay. <sighs> so, ugh, yeah, uh, you know, I was looking forward to coming in today, and then now that I'm here behind the microphone, I'm feeling... Oof, just rough around the edges, and that's okay. That's how one feels. I'm not going to judge myself on how I'm feeling. I'm going to have some compassion, because there's a lot of things to be upset about and angry about. I do want to start off, though, with playing a, an audio clip. It's an interview from Democracy Now! And I oftentimes, when I, when I do this show, I oftentimes try to get folks on, sometimes in advance. I book people in advance, sometimes not so much. And scheduling can be difficult because it is during the week uh, in the afternoon and not everyone's available. And life, a lot of things happen in life. And so for, for today, I don't have a, a guest planned at the moment. And you know, I think about this too, where wanting to have folks on to share their voices and then also not create... Um, excess labor for people, if that makes sense. So for the people who are already doing the work, uh, the time it takes for them to come down here and to share what they're doing and trying to find that balance between folks who want to be here and are happy to share. And then also uh, it's, 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 it's difficult. So um, I appreciate having more voices on the show. And also it's, how do I explain this exactly? It's, there's no one way I do the show every week. It's different every week. Um, the energy that I put into it's different circumstances are different and I do appreciate having folks on the show so if you are someone who you would like your voice to be heard then by all means please do get in contact with us here and I also wanted to put out the call and I wasn't sure exactly how to word this um, due to even more restrictive uh, fucking I see I'm already like angry this is why I could not be a news anchor on TV or perhaps many other places And that. Not only would I swear and not only would I be um, not wanting to tell, not wanting to say what the corporate sponsors wanted me to say, um, but I would just be like, I can't put up with this bullshit. I can't even, even use some of the language that I think some of the folks would want me to use. Where in Alabama they're talking about forced births for people and uh, locking up doctors. That's what they're fucking talking about. It's past... And there's just so much, there's so many also more levels to, to talk about. And I also, I wanted to invite folks um, who have accessed reproductive health care and had abortions and wanting, you know, for folks who want to tell their stories. And so I want to inv- invite folks who might be listening live right now to call in if you're able at 415-550-0511 to share your stories and to have more voices here on the show. And it's just... Uh, it's deeply upsetting. Upsetting is not even the right word that folks do not have autonomy over their own bodies. It's fucking disgusting. Uh, that's, that's one layer to it. Another layer is that, uh, there's also trans men and non-binary folks who can also get pregnant and also need reproductive health care. So to also expand the conversation, uh, beyond saying it's, it's only women, who are suffering because of this these laws and also uh, as a woman governor who signed this into law so also holding white women accountable for their role in up- upholding white supremacy and the patriarchy so i wanting to include that too oh gross lots of fucking grossness gross 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 see that's <sighs> i worked at a um oh man i wasn't gonna go into this and then i'm like oh might as well uh 
uh, it's difficult here without a, a live audience so it's hard to read the room because the room here is is me in the studio at the moment but uh 20 years ago this summer actually 20 years ago i was working for um an a building a company not a company but an organization called the women's choice clinic that was located in downtown oakland and we would go canvas and raise money uh for the clinic which provided reproductive health care and health screenings for uh folks you know low-income folks who needed who needed those services and we'd canvas and for folks who have canvas knows knowing that it's not an easy thing to do certainly to go up to someone's home and knock and we would knock on their door and the first question we would we'd introduce would say hello and then we would ask if they were pro-choice and if they said they were not pro-choice then we'd be like all right bye uh, you know, be like, okay. Uh, and if they were pro-choice, then we would, you know, talk a little bit about the clinic and, and ask for funds. And it was definitely a difficult job, even though we didn't meet a lot of folks who were supportive and there were folks who donated. It was still a very, a really difficult job because this was the idea that we even had to do it in the first place where there's that, that folks don't have access to care that can save their lives is ridiculous. And then to have to go door to door. And then also this is in the Bay area, which is known to be, or thought of as to be a progressive, uh, area in the country and then to meet folks who were who don't believe that people have bodily autonomy that was super disturbing <sighs> I do remember crying it probably I remember one particular time I'm sure I cried more than once though on this job and I remember one time I forget where we were and I think the person was also just rude and I understand not maybe not wanting to be disturbed at home and then also at the same time what we're doing is we're trying to provide health care for people and that's not something that one should get angry about and I remember sitting on the on the curb and just like crying and being really upset and I think the person heard me or maybe it was I mean I started I don't know but my memory although over the past few years has been a little bit spotty I do have very specific memories tied into this job even though I was only there for a few months and yeah we'd go to different neighborhoods um, I remember one woman in Berkeley uh, donated a hundred dollars which I think was the most uh, that I was able to raise uh, in one by, with one household, and we were paid solely on commission. So we'd get like a percentage, like maybe it was twenty percent or so of the, of the funds we raised. So on the days we didn't, you know, raise anything, we were just spending our time going out and talking to folks about healthcare. And of course, I was doing it as a it was a, an ethical thing, and I'm uh, thinking thinking now too about how few jobs are really ethical when you get down to it like how many jobs are out there to really help people instead of helping one person or a select few people get rich or the jobs that also end up polluting the planet or are part of the military industrial complex or the prison industrial complex or part of law enforcement which ends up causing harm to people and tearing apart families how many jobs are there out there that really help people and that are compensated well. Like I'm thinking about like teachers and nurses and and jobs like that and folks who create art and oh, how great it would be if there were more of those opportunities for people. I remember most of the folks who worked there that I met were queer women. I remember we went to Steve Jobs' house in Silicon Valley. I think it was in Palo Alto. And no one was home, or at least no one got the door. There was, a, of course, a big gate in front, but we still rang the buzzer. And this was in... It was 20 years ago, so 1999, and uh, we're just thinking, wow, what if he were to, you know, get the door and be like, hey, I'm going to totally fund fund you all, and he didn't answer, and 
that's something that kind of sticks with me too is the folks who could have who definitely had the wealth i understand if you don't have the capital to help um and i think there's a lot of folks who would love to help and just aren't, aren't able to and here is someone who most definitely <laughs> could have donated a couple hundred bucks at the very least that would have really have helped sustain the the organization for a bit and and folks like that didn't seem to show up at least when we were collecting funds. And the sad part, of course, is that the clinic ended up closing, I think not too long after I left there. So I think I left maybe August or September of 99, and I don't think it lasted more than a year. Maybe I'm wrong, but it definitely did close down. And I think about that a lot with just the folks I met while doing that job and that, that work itself and the folks who provide life-saving health care. And a number of folks I know have had abortions and the idea that folks shouldn't be able to make their own choice about their bodies. And as a trans person, I feel that tremendously, not only as someone who does have the potential of getting pregnant, um, also as someone who at times has had to jump through hoops in order to access medication or surgery that I know that I need. And to have to have someone else sign off on whether or not I deserve it, and you know, I'm just one one example of millions of people out there in the world, billions who don't have as much control over their over our own bodies as we deserve to have, based on people in positions of power wanting to create laws that harm us. Oh, well, it feels good for getting that out. I'd wanted to write it out and I'm having a, I have a very tenuous relationship with social media and I've been wanting to get off entirely. And then also I'm still connected to a lot of people on there and I don't want to join something else only to feel sucked into that as well. And I want to share stories on there. And at the same time, I'm very critical of that platform. And so I was thinking about what I would if I were to write about this experience with this job, and I have written about it before, and it feels good to say it out loud and just to share this experience. And it also just goes to show, I mean, this is also, you know, 20 years ago, which is the fairly recent future, and also it was 20 years ago. And still, it's as if the fight is ever... I mean, it's been ongoing, and of course, there have been more and more restrictions I forget the statistics, so I don't want to misquote myself, but I feel like the number of clinics that were in Alabama, which is a state that just signed this new ban, which of course also doesn't go into effect until January, I believe. Same with Georgia, and also Missouri has one on the books, and Michigan. Like the folks who say, oh, I got a lot. Wow, see, now that I'm going, I'm going. <sighs> the folks are like, oh, well, it's, it's, why don't you just go to take it, do it in another state, which is totally fucked up because it's like, um, everyone should have access no matter where they live. And also sometimes it requires more than one visit. And so who has the time and the money to drive perhaps thousands of miles to get to another clinic? And then also with scheduling, it's not an easy thing to do, let alone should someone even have to do that in the first place. It should be readily accessible. And it's not the kind of, kind of thing where you just, oh, I'm just going to go here one day and get it over with. It requires some aftercare. So... So that that's frustrating, the folks who argue about that and the people who just want to write off the that part of the country as if there aren't activists there who have been fighting really fucking hard and in many ways harder than a lot of us who don't have to take these things for granted. Oh, 
So that was part of it. And also, yeah, it's happening. These restrictions are happening in other states, too, not just in the South. And also, someone pointed out a few years ago, I think back when, before there was the full-on same-sex marriage, if you want to call it that, I don't believe in, uh, whatever. Okay. Uh, not that I don't believe in that. I, I, it's the idea of the framing of it, the same sex. And I don't believe in, I don't believe that there's only two genders. So the idea of, okay, if we continue talking about language, I might never make it, make my point. The idea of same sex marriage, we can all agree at this point in time, folks know what this is about, right? So years ago, before it was fully passed, uh, in every state here in the U S uh, someone had did a, a survey of some sort that there are states it was easier to get gay married in this country than it is to access an abortion based on where you live. And this was years ago. So I think that also calls into question the idea of progress and how, what in terms of many or some, I should say gay rights activists, if they call themselves that how people fighting for marriage and not other issues as well, like healthcare, um, not including healthcare for people has really ended up harming the masses. Okay. So I feel like those are some of the points I wanted to get to and good to get it out there, uh, to say it out loud. And it's, it's fucked up. It's really fucked up. And it's like, things are going so far backwards in a way where it's, we're spending our time and energy fighting to survive instead of fighting for other, other things to make the world better time and energy spent just keeping people safe. Okay. So my computer has logged out now that I've been talking for so long and I appreciate you all listening in and do want to repeat the phone number for folks to call in 415-550-0511. And I want to get to folks who are, are actually experts and have been studying. This is, I, I haven't been speaking from my own perspective and I read and I've talked to folks and also really wanted to share the voices of folks who've been doing this work for decades. So on Democracy Now! recently, they had an interview with a couple of folks that I wanted to highlight. And this came out on May 15th. And the title, you can also find it on the NPR, not NPR, excuse me, Democracy Now! I'm going to slow down so I don't make more mistakes. Alabama passes near total ban on abortion as part of quote unquote stealth campaign. Go fuck yourselves. Excuse me. To overturn Roe v. Wade. And uh, this was an interview that Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez did with uh, Jessica Mason uh, Piccolo of Rewire News and Monica Simpson of Sister Song. So you can find this also on the Democracy Now! website. So I'm going to go ahead and um, play this, and we'll be back afterwards. So stay tuned. Alabama lawmakers voted to effectively ban abortion Tuesday, passing the most restrictive anti-choice law in the country in a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade. The bill, approved by the Senate Tuesday in the Alabama House last month, bans abortions at all phases. Doctors could face up to 99 years in prison for performing abortions. The bill includes no exceptions for survivors of rape and incest. Its only exception is grave risk to the mother's life. The legislation is now heading to the desk of anti-choice Republican Governor Kay Ivey, and many expect she'll sign it. Opponents say they'll challenge the bill in court should it become law. But that's precisely the point. Architects behind the legislation want to use it to challenge Roe v. Wade, which recognizes the constitutional right to an abortion. 
Just one day before Alabama passed the legislation, Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer issued what many considered a dire warning from the bench, implying that Roe v. Wade is in danger. He wrote the comments in a dissent for an unrelated case in which the court voted to overturn a 40-year-old precedent. Breyer wrote, quote, "'Today's decision can only cause one to wonder which cases the court will overrule next.'" This attack on reproductive rights is playing out in state legislatures across the country. Also on Tuesday, the Republican-led Michigan Senate passed bills to ban the most common method of second-trimester abortion and criminalize abortion providers. Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer is expected to veto the legislation. Last week, Georgia Republican Governor Brian Kemp signed one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the U.S., banning abortion when a fetal heartbeat can be detected, which often occurs at around six weeks into pregnancy, before many women even realize they are pregnant. The new law is set to take effect on January 1, 2020. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine also signed into law a six-week abortion ban last month. The legislation does not include exceptions for cases of rape or incest. Well, for more, we're joined by Monica Simpson, executive director of Sister Song, a woman of color reproductive justice collective. She's in Denver today, but she's based in Atlanta, Georgia. And we're joined by Jessica Mason-Piclo, legal analyst and vice president of Law and the Courts at Rewire. She's the co-author of Crow After Roe, how separate but equal has become the new standard in women's health and how we can change that. Her forthcoming book, written with Robin Marty, is The End of Roe v. Wade, Inside the Rights Plan to Destroy Legal Abortion. We welcome you both to Democracy Now! Jessica, let's begin with you. Explain what just happened in Alabama. What just happened in Alabama is that lawmakers launched a full frontal attack on legal abortion in the state and um, across the country with a law designed specifically to challenge Roe versus Wade in the long term and in the short term, so chaos in the state of Alabama for folks who need access to abortion. And could you talk about uh, Justice Breyer's warning, how that specifically might relate to Roe v. Wade in terms of a, his dissent in an unrelated case? Absolutely. On Monday, the Supreme Court issued a five to four decision in a effectively a tax case. Um, and Justice Thomas took the lead in that decision and upended 40 years of precedent. And that, uh, on the face, has absolutely nothing to do with abortion rights. But as Justice Breyer noted, the path that the court took in getting to the outcome has absolutely everything to do with abortion rights when we look at uh, the conservative wing of the court looking to enact an agenda that lawmakers at the states have volleyed up for them in these anti-choice Bills. And so what Justice Breyer did was go through the concept of stare decisis and precedent that the majority in this decision had overturned and suggested how that they could do the same thing when it came to um, other uh, areas like abortion rights and contraception, for example. Um, this is Alabama State Senator Linda Coleman Madison speaking at the debate yesterday before Alabama voted an almost total abortion ban. This bill to me appears to be about control. When the dust settles at the end, and if this bill passes on a roll call vote, you will be telling your wives, your daughters, your granddaughters, and those who support this bill, that you don't value the worth 
of women, regardless of how educated, how sound of mind, how competent, how knowledgeable, no matter how many degrees they have, or how many of these same women you have paid your hard-earned money to educate, that their voice does not matter. We don't trust you to make a decision that is the most personal and precious decision about your own body. And that includes your offsprings, your grandchildren. So that's Alabama State Senator Linda Coleman-Madison speaking just before the Alabama State Senate uh, followed uh, the example of the Alabama House of Representatives and uh, voted for the almost complete abortion ban. Uh, Jessica Mason-Piclo, go further in explaining exactly what it means, you know, putting doctors in prison for life um, <clears throat> if they perform the procedure, an uh, 11-year-old kid who's raped by her father forced to bear her father's child. Talk about why the no exceptions, what the legislature, what Alabama is hoping to do with the Supreme Court. Well, they're hoping quite uh, clearly to upend legal abortion in any way that they can with this bill. And so um, by not having any exceptions, for example, uh, they are taking a direct attack on the line of precedent in Roe that says um, states can enact certain measures uh, before viability, for example, but there need to be exceptions uh, maintained for the health of the per uh, pregnant person and their life, um, for example. What is really happening here, though, that I think is, is most important to dive into is that lawmakers have said very specifically that they know this bill is unconstitutional, that their design by passing this is to force a court challenge. And Republicans have spent the last two years packing the federal courts with ideologues who have promised, if given the opportunity, to upend Roe versus Wade. So this is a political campaign that is being waged in the courts right now because because conservatives and Republicans really feel that they have the advantage here. And we're seeing in places where uh, pregnant people are already criminalized for certain pregnancy outcomes. The impact of upending legal abortion is starting and has started in places, but what this does is put that on hyperspeed and says very clearly that lawmakers don't care what the law is. They don't care that this is an unconstitutional ban. That's the point of it. And so the question is whether or not the federal courts are going to do their job and not be ideological in this and apply the law. And should they do that, then this ban is dead in the water. Now, uh, Monica Simpson, you're usually based uh, in Georgia. Could you talk about what's been happening in your state and this whole issue of this political offensive by the uh, anti-choice forces? Clearly, uh, there is an effect, not only uh, an attempt not only to overturn Roe v. Wade, but also to mobilize the anti-choice movement as we head into the presidential elections uh, next year. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me this morning. I will say that today, those of us who have been doing this work in Georgia and who have just faced the same battles that our folks in Alabama are facing as of yesterday, we're standing in solidarity with Alabama and all the other states and folks who are dealing with these issues all across the country. And what we see and what we've been able to really 
come to, to come to grips with in this country is that this has been a steady and a very stealth approach that our opposition has taken against us at the state level. And what we are seeing here that in Georgia, what we're seeing now in Alabama, is that they are making a very clear message that they do not care about us, they do not care about our ability to make our own decisions, about our bodies, about our families, about how we want to create family. And it is what we're trying to do now, what we're working to do collectively is to build our voices, to build our people power against that. But we have been seeing since 2011 over 400 different measures come through state houses that have been medically unnecessary and they have been using their political agenda to really move this very clear message and to get us to the point that we are now. And so, yes, we are at a point where we have to be ready to mount up all of our defenses against this. And that's exactly what we're doing in Georgia. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing across this country. Uh, this is Georgia's Republican governor, Brian Kemp, speaking last week after signing into law Georgia's six-week abortion ban. All right, I'm going to spare all of you listeners having to listen to this piece of shit talk about his fucking nonsense. This, of course, is Brian Kemp, who stole the fucking election. And the video shows him speaking, and he's surrounded by a bunch of dead-eyed white folks who there's a guy behind him who looks particularly creepy, like a fucking sinister villain type, super gross. The, it just, people look really like lifeless and like really gross. That's my description of it. Check it out for yourselves. Go to democracynow.org. You can check out this. And if you want to like listen to this piece of shit speak, excuse me, I don't want to offend pieces of shit out there, but that's what this governor is last week after signing into law the six-week abortion ban. Um, Stacey Abrams, the Democratic politician who narrowly lost Brian Kemp, who was the secretary of state, um, uh, the Republican governor's race, tweeted after the bill was signed into law, bad policies like the forced pregnancy bill are a direct result of voter suppression. If leaders can silence Georgians' voices at the ballot box, they can ignore Georgians' voices when in office. We will fight back in court and at the voting booth, um, <clears throat> she said. If Monica Simpson, if you can talk about what happened on the ground in Georgia, and particularly how these abortion bans affect women of color. Absolutely. On the ground, we have been working together collectively. We, across different organizations, across our sectors of reproductive health rights and justice, formed the Georgia Coalition for Reproductive Health Rights and Justice to be in lockstep, to be in, in connection with each other as we were fighting on the ground, moving at the grassroots level all the way up to our state house to make sure that we were educating our communities, amplifying the needs and the voices of the most marginalized in our community to really fight back against this. And what's interesting, whenever I hear Kemp say that, that we need to make courageous decisions and that, you know, we should make these, not make the easy decisions. There are so many things that Georgia could be actually fighting for that would actually impact the lives of those living in the margins. We are a state where we are at the very bottom when it comes to maternal mortality. And we see that black women are dying at a rate four times higher than white women in childbirth. We are a state that has yet to expand Medicaid. We are a state where we still need to be making sure that we are creating economic opportunities for people to be able to survive and thrive. But instead of really focusing 
focusing on those issues, which have been what our folks on the ground have asked for of our elected officials, of the governor of this of our state. Instead, we're moving forward measures that actually decrease access and put people at risk. And when we have things like a six-week abortion ban in place, and if that's something that moves forward, which we're going to fight every single day to make sure that it doesn't, things like that, when you, when you put those different measures in place, we know who gets impacted the most. It's folks of color, marginalized communities, young people. Those folks, their lives are the ones that are the most at risk. So instead of listening to the folks of Georgia and listening to the needs of the people of Georgia, we have folks in office who are really focused on moving their political agenda and using our bodies and our wombs as collateral. And we say no more to that. And so we are working together collectively to build that people power, to make sure that we are fighting this at every level that we most possibly can. But on the ground, we have been working diligently to build that collective power to make sure that we have what is necessary for us to fight this at every level. Uh, Jessica Mason Peeklaw, I'm wondering if you could talk about Ohio, a key, obviously, battleground state uh, in the presidential upcoming presidential race, and the uh, and the abortion uh, and the abortion law there. Right. Well, we have seen Ohio um, try to enact as many anti-abortion measures as they can, um, including one of these six-week bans, um, in addition to a ban on later abortion, which is tied up in the courts. And um, you mentioned Ohio is a battleground state, and I think it's really important to bring this back into this idea of disenfranchisement and um, who is uh, who is passing this and why. You know, we have seen success from the last 40 years of having um, broader reproductive. Uh, access to reproductive health services and the ability to plan families and to try and parent as we choose. And so it is no surprise that in those states where some of those advances have uh, taken place in rapid form, we're seeing such a pushback. And so I so appreciate Stacey Abrams making that connection in terms of disenfranchisement. I don't think we can say that enough. These are bills that are designed to keep people out of civic life and out of the political process. And so Ohio is an excellent example of this, um, where there is good support for abortion rights and access on the ground and in its citizenry, but the uh, politicians are using the power that they have right now to try and stymie that. Um, and it is important because Ohio sits in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, and that is also a federal uh, circuit court of appeals that has been newly um, made more conservative thanks to Trump appointees. And so when we, when again, when I talk about this as a political campaign that's being waged in the courts, those are the dots that I hope people are starting to connect because they are all connected. Do you actually see Roe being overturned? Uh, that's an excellent question. I do. I think that, you know, we there are two paths that conservatives can take. They can continue on an incrementalist approach, um, which we are seeing them attempting in the states through um, various types of procedure bans, through trap restrictions that we've talked about previously on this show, um, or they can go for the brass ring and go for row altogether. And we're seeing them take that path now. You know, the question will be ultimately what stomach does Chief Justice John Roberts have? for overturning precedent here. We've seen early indications that he is uncomfortable by some of the political nature of, of what is happening. However, when it comes to a substantive vote in defense of abortion rights, Chief Justice John Roberts has yet to cast one in favor of abortion rights on the merits. And so I think that it is um, well within our concern to think that uh, Roe versus Wade could be overturned in the next several years.
Uh, we're going to end with a video that went viral uh, just a few months ago. It's Georgia Democratic State Senator Jen Jordan speaking against the abortion ban on the Georgia State Senate floor in March. The deepest, darkest times of my life have occurred in the presence of and with my physician. You see, I've been pregnant 10 times. I have seen what many of you in here have called a heartbeat 10 times. But I have only given birth twice. I have lost seven pregnancies in varying points of time before 20 weeks and one after five months. Her name was Juliet. I have laid on the cold examination table while a doctor desperately looked for a heartbeat. I have been escorted out the back door of my physician's office so as not to upset the other pregnant women in the waiting area, my grief on full display and uncontainable. I have been on my knees time after time in prayer to my God about my losses. I have loved each and every single one of those potential lives, and my husband and I have grieved each passing. But no matter my faith, my beliefs, my losses, I have never, ever strayed from the basic principle that each woman, each woman must be able to make her decisions in consultation with her God and her family. It is not for the government or the men of this chamber to insert itself in the most personal, private, and wrenching decisions that make every single day. And that's not some smiley, happy statement that's been focused, grouped. That is the reality of our lives. And let me be clear, if you shirk the most basic duties you have to protect the fundamental rights of women today, then no doubt the women of this state will reclaim their rights after they have claimed your seats. That's Georgia State Senator Jen Jordan speaking in March. And that does it for this segment. We want to thank Monica Simpson, executive director of Sister Song, a woman of color reproductive justice collective based in Atlanta, Georgia, and Jessica Mason Piccolo, legal analyst and vice president of law and the courts at Rewire. She's co-author of Row, Crow After Row, How Separate But Equal Has Become the New Standard in Women's Health and How We Can Change That, her forthcoming book, The End of Roe v. Wade, Inside the Rights Plan to Destroy Legal Abortion. This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. When we come back— All right. So if folks would like to check this out again, uh, please go to democracynow.org. And this was posted on Wednesday, May 15th. We're going to play a little bit of music, and then we'll be back with some more news stories. You're listening to The Weekly Review here on Mutiny Radio. <laughs>
All right. That was the Dresden Dolls with Mandy Goes to Med School. Before that, we heard A Moral Majority by Dead Kennedys. Although some of the folks mentioned in the song are no longer with us, uh, the message is still clear and still true. Going to war with or without Iran. And we'll get to that a little bit later on in the show. Ugh, sigh. And before that, we heard a song I hadn't heard before that was called RU486 by The Pain Teens. So there's, we never get to everything. It's only a two hour show and there's so much going on in the world and also wanting to share so much. Uh, so we'll, we'll get to what we can here on the program. Thanks again so much for listening. Listening, You're listening to Mutiny Radio. I'll do a little plug here for the station. There are shows here every day of the week. Um, please check out our schedule at mutinyradio.fm. Lots of shows here. There's music, there's news, there's politics, there's comedy, there's spoken word. Um, uh, there's labor and love. Great, great shows here. So please do check us out, mutinyradio.fm. If you yourself are interested in doing a show here, that can happen. Check out the website, mutinyradio.fm. Please get in contact with Pam. And you get two hours a week to do any type of show you'd like. It's pretty awesome. We also have the space available for rentals on certain nights. If you'd like to do a show here uh, for two hours at a time, you can have like a, there's like a space here for, uh on audience give a live performance here you also get to broadcast live you get to record the show as well so it's a pretty awesome space so please do support mutiny radio if you would like to support the show in particular you can also support mutiny radio if you go to the station station yeah if you come to the station you can also support us that way also if you go to the website mutinyradio.fm there's a gofundme please we're we kind of pay dues in order to stay open so it's collectively run uh uh, with pam doing a lot of the the hard lifting here heavy lifting so um anything you can help give uh because we have to pay rent unfortunately that's how things are for the time being uh would be super helpful and if you'd like to support this show um that would be super helpful. It's hard for me to ask for help and it's hard for me to ask for funds. Um, I do this show cause I think it's super important to be able to provide uh, counter. I'm going to say counterintelligence, but the, the news that gets spread by corporate media is on the side of corporations and industry and the state. And it's really crucial that we have folks speaking their truth and have news that shares folks who actually do the research and have been living these lives for a long time. So that's what I try to do with the show is um, gather voices and collectively uh, produce a show here that can highlight what's actually happening. And the show is, I mean, I've been doing this now for over five years and it's does get exhausting and it's also super important. And I'm really grateful to be able to have a space and to, to be able to speak the truth. And really that doesn't, um, I'm just, that never there's never a day when i'm like oh i'm i'm not where i'm, where I'm not grateful for b- being able to have this space where we can we can speak and we can share our voices so if you'd like to help keep the doors open and keep this show going on um i would greatly supre- appreciate it the funds that we raise for the most part goes directly to paying the dues so uh if anything on top of that would be super helpful uh you can go to patreon.com forward slash weekly rev you can also follow me on twitter i end up sharing a lot of articles on there and i learn a lot on there as well you can follow me at r-o-m-a-n-r-i-m-e-r you can follow me on there as well all right Whew. speaking very quickly oh gosh there's so much to get to i think that's why i was speaking quickly and i was like do i need a really long music break oh uh there's just 
oh, there's a lot to get to. Coming up in a little bit, I'll be reading an article from The Intercept by uh, Mehdi Hassan, uh, Four Simple Steps the U.S. Media Could Take to Prevent a Trump War with Iran. So as we, I guess, part of the media here, uh, crucial to to share this information, and hopefully folks listening will also uh, learn a bit. I always learn a lot when I read these articles. Also, a note, um, depending on how we are with timing, I'll at least read the headline now, and that way, if I don't get back to it on this show, folks can also look it up from Boing Boing. AT&T promised it would create 7,000 jobs if 45 went through with its $3 billion tax cut, but they cut 23,000 jobs instead. Oh, wow. A fuck- okay, I'm sorry. I hate fucking AT&T. I hate them. <sighs> They fund private prisons. They're fucking shitty. And now, of course, they're laying off uh, over 20,000 workers. And the folks at the top are making a lot of money. I do appreciate the uh, image they have here uh, attached to the article on Boing Boing. It's uh, in the backdrop. It's an AT&T building with a sign, AT&T sign and logo. And someone in the front has a guillotine. And there's someone on the guillotine. I think it's the CEO uh, oh, I'll just start reading this now. I'm here. Why not? Okay. In 2017, AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson campaigned for Trump's massive tax cuts by promising that they would create 7,000 jobs with the $3 billion. Holy fuck. That's a lot of money. With the $3 billion they stood to gain, as well as investing in new infrastructure. Instead, shocking, a fucking CEO lied. Wow. I'm so shocked. Okay, I'm gonna calm down. Well, I don't. I don't really. I shouldn't really calm down because this stuff is just fucking disgusting. When there are people starving who don't have housing and food and healthcare, and there are fucks like this who. Okay. <sighs> All right. Okay. Uh, as well as investing in new inf- infrastructure, instead the company reduced its headcount by twenty three thousand three hundred twenty eight workers, six thousand in the first three months of twenty nineteen, while reducing capital expenditures by one point four billion dollars. AT and T reduced capex by another nine hundred million dollars in the first quarter of two thousand nineteen. AT and T substantially increased executive bonuses over the same period. Wow, what a coincidence! When contacted by ARS, AT&T didn't deny any of the CWA's findings. We continue to hire an area. Why should I even fucking read? That's the thing. I'm not going to fucking read their fucking nonsense. They're just lying. So that's it. They have a quote from AT&T. And uh, if you want to read it, check out boingboing.net. All right. Good. Got that article out of the way. Oof. So, uh, 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 gonna calm down i'm gonna bring up this uh page two if you go to perilouschronicle.com there's an article there's been an uprising at the dekalb county jail in georgia so they have a video attached as well as an article so i'm gonna play the audio from the video and again folks can check this out by going to perilouschronicle.com are complaining of uh, mold in the food and inhumane uh, treatments. So we are here to let the public know that this 
rights will not be tolerated. I know the sheriff has said that uh, people should stop protesting. They should just follow official proper channels to make complaints. What do you say to that? Yeah, well, we have done everything. We have done all of that, and there are still no changes. We feel like we are being ignored. We have mothers with sons who are inside of there. I'm not going to stop until we get justice. saw this protest here? Yeah, I like it. I like it. Do you know anybody who's yeah, in the jail? I have folks in there. Now they try to talk about the black mold. Yeah. Protesting. You just saw this protest here? Yeah. What do you think about it? It's pretty good. We're human beings. Yeah, we're human, man. For real. Oh, take it out of here. For real. But I was in it, so I don't want it. I don't want it either. <laughs> what are you seeing in that jail? How, how is it in there? They serve you slot. Yeah. They don't like to give you anything. They don't give you water. They don't give you nothing. They're disgusting. What do you think people should do? Tear the shit down. You know how many jails they have in Georgia? Tear it down.
protest the people? Because they're corn. So there was some um, uh, police violence in there, and I apologize for not uh, noting that ahead of time. I hadn't heard the full video. So again, this is the uprising at DeKalb County Jail, Georgia, and you can see this article at PerilousChronicle.com. Also, the video footage, uh, which I encourage folks to watch if you're able. Um, folks who are incarcerated had broken the window and are trying to get a note out. Um, one person had written, I love you, outside the window to the folks protesting down below. Um, and the article I'll read a little bit from as well. It's a DeKalb County Jail, Decatur, Georgia, May 15th, 2019. Please note the, the, this event is recent or ongoing. Please check back for updates as the situation develops. Uh, during a protest by outside supporters in front of the jail, inmates inside smashed out over a dozen windows in all three buildings of the facility. Many of the inmates then attempted to communicate through the smashed windows with protesters outside, shouting, help us, and there is mold. Another inmate held up a sign to the window that read, strangled by C.O. King while cuffed behind back. Some inmates unsuccessfully attempted to throw letters out of the broken windows to protesters below, with most of them being caught on a ledge above. Inmates shouted through their broken windows that guards were spraying them with pepper spray. Fuck. 
Inmate workers could also be seen on the first floor jumping and waving to protesters outside. At least 100 officers responded, including SWAT teams, a bomb squad, and a helicopter. Four outside protesters were arrested during the protest. A fund was established for their bail. And if you follow, um, if you go to the Action Network, there is the Atlanta Solidarity Fund from Atlanta, Georgia, so you can donate there. Um, there also is a link in the article. And I'm going to go back here and finish reading that. So also, if you can follow Atlanta at Atlanta IWOC on Twitter, they have more information. And they say, update from hashtag justice for inmates protest at DeKalb County Jail. Folks locked up are calling through their busted windows, saying guards tried to spray them. One tried to drop us a bag of mold as proof. Uh, there's also Hannah Riley at Hannah C. Riley at C-R-I-L-E-Y-Y uh, on Twitter. People in the, in the DeKalb jail can hear the protesters outside and they wave towels or tap the windows in solidarity. At least one arrest by APD. Protest is against the ridiculously inhumane conditions in the jail. Uh, part of the memorial shut part of memorial shutdown. Video also says now someone in the tweet says now someone inside DeKalb Jail holds up a sign to the window strangled by CEO King while cuffed behind back. Uh, there's photos of folks with signs and folks uh, photos of the windows that have been the cells that have been broken. So uh, people are desperate for breathable air. Uh, the protest occurred about one month after a previous protest at the same facility on April 12, 2019, called by the same groups. Both protests were organized in response to urgent calls from prisoners for support and complaints of deplorable conditions at the facility. Earlier this year, prisoners released a video using a jail-issued tablet during a video visit showed the food they were being served and photos of themselves holding signs made of styrofoam food trays. The messages included, DeKalb Jail is mistreating us, we sleep and breathe mold, and please help, we're dying, we need food. Uh, prisoners inside the jail released the following statement about their conditions and call for support. Inmates in the DeKalb County Jail are actually dying and being subjected to unhealthy conditions, breathing and sleeping with mold, having skin breakouts, being assaulted by correctional officers in areas of the jail where there were no no cameras, etc. Stand for these young men. They are caged away with no voice. No matter what they are incarcerated for, they do not deserve to live in such treacherous conditions. Most of them are there awaiting trials or tr or traffic tickets. They are innocent until proven guilty, but judge ye not, repost and share, let our voices be heard for them to get attention of officials who can have this facility investigated and fix the conditions. DeKalb Sheriff Jeffrey Mann denied that there were problems with conditions at the jail, although he did admit that the jail is struggling with mold problems. What a fucking... Uh, another video Man. here. Man, what the fuck is this? Open yeah. that shit up. They, Show uh, these people what this shit is. They feed you better in DeKalb County. What the fuck is this? It's really funny. Jesus, Jesus, help me. Help me, Lord. I'm crying now, baby. Um, yeah, so folks can check out um, the article again, perilouschronicle.com. There's also other articles from It's Going Down on April 11th, 2019, and um, also from the IWOC as well. Oh, whew, wow. That's 
a lot. There's a couple articles, which I don't think it's 116. I'm not sure how we're doing on time in terms of everything that I wanted to get to today, but did want to share links to other articles that folks can read if you're able. And there's one, Prisons as a Tool for Reproductive Oppression, Cross-Movement Strategies for Gender Justice. It's a really long article. Um, It came out in 2008, um, but I I think it's really important that folks check it out. I'm also going to share it. I'm going to tweet it now. So if you follow me, at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R, you can find it there. Also, if you go to srlp.org, uh, the article is listed there, and it was um, shared by the Silvi- Sil- excuse me, Sylvia Rivera Law Project, again, on September 27th, 2008, and uh, remarks of Gabriel Arclis from the SRLP on a panel on at CR10. So a lot of these things are still true, and I encourage folks to check that out. Again, Prisons as a Tool for Reproductive Oppression, Cross-Movement Strategies for Gender Justice. Uh, folks, please do check that out. And there's another article as well. <sighs> I'm going to take a moment and uh, just take a breath here. There's an article in The Appeal, uh, Incarceration is Always a Policy Failure. And it talks about stuff in, that's happening at Rikers Island in New York. Uh, it was written by Jonathan Ben Menachem, and it came out on May 15th as well. Instead of building humane jails to replace Rikers Island, let's push the NYPD to cut down on arrests. <sighs> um, I want to read this, and I'm also just taking note of my own energy. And wow, there's there's a lot. Um, feel like <sighs> feel like I'm gonna take a bit of a music break right now and then we'll come back with some more there's also lots more news to get to so i'm gonna (laughs) take a bit of a break and then we'll be back with some more news Uh, this is a song called runaway love by Ludacris, featuring mary j blige And it go a little something like that. Run away, love, 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 run away, love. Now, little Lisa's only nine years old. She's trying to figure out why the world is so cold. Why she's all alone and they never met her family Mama's always gone and she never met her daddy Part of her is missing and nobody will listen Mama's on drugs, getting up in the kitchen Bringing home in the different hours of the night Starting with some laughs, usually ending in a fight Sneaking in a room when her mama's knocked out Trying to have his way and little Lisa says ouch She tries to resist but then all he does is beat her Tries to tell her mom but her mama don't believe her Lisa's stuck up in the world on her own Forced to think that hell is a place called home Nothing else to do but get some clothes and pack She says she's about to run away and never come back Little Nicole is only 10 years 
years old She's steady trying to figure why the world is so cold Why she's not pretty and nobody seems to like her Alcoholic stepdad always wanna strike her Yells and abuses, leaves her with some bruises Teachers ask questions, she's making up excuses Bleeding on the inside, crying on the out It's only one girl really knows what she's about Her name is Little Stacy and they become friends Promise that they'll always be tight till the end Until one day Little Stacy gets shot A drive-by bullet went straight up on a block Now Nicole's stuck up in the world on her own Forced to think that hell is a place called home Nothing else to do but get her clothes and pack She says she's about to run away and never come back She's steady trying to figure why the world is so cold So she pops to get rid of all the pain Plus she's having sex with a boy who's 16 Emotions run deep and she thinks she's in love So there's no protection, he's using no glove Never thinking about the consequences of her actions Living for today and not tomorrow's satisfaction The days go by and her belly gets big The father bails out, he ain't ready for a kid Knowing her mama will blow it all out of proportion Plus she lives poor so no money for abortion Erica Stuck up in the world on her own Forced to think that hell is a place called home Nothing else to do but get her clothes and pack She said she about to run away and never come back We do have a guest who has called in. Thanks so much for calling in. You're welcome. And feel free to introduce yourself uh, as you'd like. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my name is Anne. I live in New York City. Hi. Hi. And uh, I am 47 years old. Mm-hmm. I have a daughter who is six and a half, but thinks she's 16. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I... Uh, breastfed my daughter until she was just before four mm-hmm. years old, and um, 
I, the reason why that's significant is because I couldn't get a mammogram that suggested um, at 40 and every year thereafter, especially if you have like a elevated risk mm-hmm. of breast cancer. Uh, I have um, a maternal aunt who uh, had breast cancer when she was about my age, mm-hmm. and she survived because it was detected early. Um but I'm, I'm skeptical about that, too. Yes. But, uh, and you'll understand why as I go on. Mm-hmm. So um, I went for um, a mammogram last January, mm-hmm. or last, actually, I think it was December 2017. And then um, I, I, I thought I felt something. You know how you're supposed to do the... The exam, the yes. self exam, and I thought I felt something, but you know, apparently, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't really sure what I was feeling for because, to be honest, I wasn't very familiar because I was, I had been breastfeeding for a long time, and you know, um, breast changes happen a lot when you're breastfeeding, mm-hmm. so more than usual, and you know, there's your, you have milk and all that, and it's not. It's hard to tell. So they say that you shouldn't go for a mammogram until after after you finish for at least six months. And so it was it was time for me to go. And I had I had felt something, but like I said, I didn't know what I was feeling. But then I went for this mammogram, and they said that they saw something suspicious, mm-hmm. and they called it um, calcification. Okay, I figured out that it was it could have been calcification. So then they asked me to come for a biopsy. And a biopsy is when they they put um, uh, I think it was called an electrostatic um, biopsy where they take like a hollowed needle, they numb you, and then they guide it with a camera to um, not just get a sample, a tissue sample to uh, evaluate, but also to leave you with a little titanium chip hmm. in your breast at the site where they took the sample from so if you're if you're a little uh concerned about that chip (laughs) you're right because um here's here's the where it gets interesting so when i was while i was waiting for my turn for the biopsy i just want to say that there were at least 20 to 25 other women in the room all going for biopsies Mm -hmm. As if it were biopsy season, hmm. okay? And, you know, it was just too much of a coincidence and just, like, you know, red flags, like, what is happening here? And yeah. by now, I almost I felt like it was too late for me to, like, shed the robe and leave, Yeah, you know? So I went for the biopsy. They put the chip. And then I got a bill for close to $1,000 because Jeez. insurance didn't cover everything, Ugh. you know, which... <laughs> You know, like, why bother? I mean, it's another insurance story. Mm-hmm. But I, I'll say that I did call, and I said, this is, you know, I said I was very cordial. And I just had, I said to myself, I have nothing to lose by asking. Right. And I, I called them, the billing department. I said, is there anything you could do? Because this is like, this is a ridiculous bill right now. Yeah. You know, I said very, very nicely. You know, I was very polite and everything. And they said, well, we'll get back to you with, you know, what 
what you'll pay or whatever. If, you know, I'll talk to somebody, the person on the other end said. Well, they called me back, and they essentially halved my my bill, hmm. my responsibility, which, again, is another red flag. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I feel like, what? How did this happen? You know, how are they able to do that if this is the the real price? Obviously, it's not the real price, right. and obviously, they're gouging people, like, what if more people didn't call? I'm sure most people don't call. Yeah. So, um, so they halved it, and then they asked me to, and then I okay. So then after the biopsy, I I called the uh, doctor's office and I asked um, what is you know what what are the results after two weeks? Mm-hmm. And at first they said they can't tell me over the phone. I said, look, I, I just want to know right now. I insisted on knowing. And they said it's um, probably benign, which is good news. Yes. It's not negative, but it's better than, you know, it's it's better news, you right. know. It's on the better side of the spectrum of news. And then they wanted me to come in. They got really angry with me that I didn't want to come in. Huh. You know, I just got the diagnosis. Why do I need to come back? Yeah. It was like, you know, because, again, because of money, okay, I'm the the theme of this is you know your your money or your life right basically right. it's emotional blackmail is what it is yeah and so um well the emotional blackmail also comes later but so um they said well you're gonna have to come back in six months for a follow-up now the follow-up um is to make sure it hasn't grown, whatever it is or was. And I, I personally, I trust my instincts when it comes to my own body. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also admit that I need to be uh, more aware of like doing doing the monthly checks, right, yes. myself, so I could know what's going on. Because I realize now if I did, I might not have gone, but who knows. But anyway, so... Um, now it's, it's, you know, obviously if you do the math, you know that it's like a year and a half later and I still haven't gone for the follow up, Mm -hmm. but I called because what I was planning to do is skip the follow up and just go for a regular mammogram because, okay, it's negative. I don't need to have like, what, what is this follow up BS? Because they just, it would cost me another several hundred dollars on insurance isn't going to pay for to go for this follow up when I was told it's negative. Well, so I made, so I, I called the, the place, the radiology clinic to do my regular mammogram. And they said, nope, we're not going to give you a regular mammogram ever until you do the follow-up. Wow. Yeah. How crazy is that? And some, and I, I found out that it's actually illegal to do that. Huh. Yeah. So, um, but that's, that's for another time. <laughs> but so now I sent my, I asked my primary doctor to give me just a script for a regular mammogram mm-hmm. for the place, you know, cause you want to go to the same place. Right. That's the whole point. Right. Because, you know, I mean, you can get your, your records from them, which I ultimately did, but, um, you know, you want to go and they, they're refusing even with the script. They're like, nope. You you have to come for a follow up, even if it's ten years from now. You need a follow up, so I can never go back there again. Apparently, Ugh. which is really frustrating. So now I had to find another place 
that would do just a regular mammogram for me without the quote-unquote follow-up, mm-hmm. you know, just a regular mammogram. Now, what, what do they do in this follow-up? They do it, it's all about the diagnostic codes because it's really not a whole lot different. Yeah. It's just checking the site of the chip, that titanium chip, and it's like I'm, I'm marked for life with this chip now because it's not coming out. And, you know, if I go somewhere and try to say I never had any, any biopsy or whatever, they're going to because they're going to see the chip. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm really, like, angry. I feel violated by this titanium chip now that's sitting in my left breast. But, okay. Well, I found um, a nonprofit that does mammograms for uninsured and... and um, underinsured women over 40 who haven't had a mammogram in over a year. Okay. So they're going to do the mammogram for me at the end of the month. Great. And the regular one, and hopefully, you know, everything goes well. If they, if something looks suspicious, then, then I'll have to start this thing again, or I'm not really sure what I'm going to do, but I, I'm, I mean, I, I got to be honest and say that I'm really like skeptical about, remember I was sitting in that room mm-hmm. with like, you know, at least two dozen other women who are going for biopsies the same day. And I, I, I really think it's another method of over diagnosing over aggressively like, uh, treating. And I, I, I don't know. I know it's a sensitive topic for a lot of people, mm-hmm. but I, I, you know, it's cancer, and it's it's a serious subject, but I just feel like they're really, these places are are capitalizing on fear, and yeah. and it, it's, I don't know, I, I hate to say it, but I, I, please forgive me for saying this, but if, if I get a, if, if I'm told that I have cancer, I don't think I'm going to go for treatment. I think I'm just going to see what happens. It's an awful thing to think about, especially when I have a daughter. But you know, it's it's I I, I don't know. I just don't trust them. I have a lot of ex- other experiences with doctors where they have violated my trust, and I I. It's really unfortunate that there's too much money involved to keep these doctors honest. Mm-hmm. Wow. The stakes are too high. Yeah. And and it's really it's. I have a friend who was diagnosed with cancer in her early 40s, and she she went for um, chemo and all that, and she's mm-hmm. apparently okay now. Yeah. But I wonder if she was never not okay. Yeah. You know? She put her body through all this, like, this terrible thing and chemo and all, all that stuff, and that's really tough on your body. Yes. Yes, it is. And... I, I just and she told me she didn't go for a second opinion. Hmm. And I find that other women that I know who who've been diagnosed with breast cancer do not go for second opinions. And it's because of this this emotional blackmail that is a diagnosis, you know? Yeah. You'd, anyway. you'd you'd mentioned that you ended up finding a place that did offer care for folks um over 40. And I was curious, how did you go about finding that? Because I feel like also we end up finding healthcare that's helpful to us through word of mouth. So I was curious as to yes. how you went about to find that. 
Yeah, so I called like every breast cancer kind of affiliated um, uh, resource that I could find, and it led me to, you know, Coleman and all that, mm -hmm. and, um, and I found this, uh, it, it's called Italian American um, Women's Initiative or something like that. I'll, I'll get the information huh. for you if, if you want to post it somewhere. Sure. And they have a truck, uh, like a, um, a truck that has like mammogram facilities inside it, so oh, like wow. a mobile unit. Mm -hmm. And you make an appointment and, um, you know, I'm going to have to tell them about the biopsy because they're going to find it, you know. It's... It, I, I hate to do that, but I'm going to have to because I, I want them to see it with fresh eyes and not be not be um, influenced by it. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah. So. So, but um, yeah. So this mobile unit, and it's not too far from where I live, apparently. And um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'll I'll report back. Yeah, please do. Oh. Oh, well, I appreciate you sharing um, so much with us. Uh, it's a lot of personal information, so yeah, I appreciate no you problem. taking it. I mean, if it's going to help somebody else to navigate, then it was worth it, you know. Definitely, I mean, I think it's really useful. Yeah, for folks to to share their stories and what they've what they've been through, because I think I feel like it's the majority of us who have suffered in one way or another through. Um, either medical malpractice or doctors who are not affirming in one way or another, or truthful even. So yeah, truthful. Yeah, uh, I, I'm like I said, I have other stories where oh my god, like fraud, total uh, fraud on my EOB, the explanation of benefits. They said that they did all these tests and they did nothing. They saw me for ten minutes and kicked me out. Wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I reported them too. Good. Oh goodness! Oof. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't know. It's really, it's as long as you know, the medical industry is a for-profit venture. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a fight. Yes, I it's agree. It's going to be a huge fight to to find somebody who's honest. I mean, you know, I, I feel like when I was younger, when I was growing up. It seemed like the only, you know, like doctors were so highly revered. I don't know. Maybe that's the just like the the feeling that I got. Like doctors were so highly. The only person more respectable than doctors was God. You know, mm -hmm. if if you believed in God, then mm -hmm. then only God was more important than a doctor. You know, and it and I just I, I just don't see it that way. I just think they're you know, not all of them, but most of them. You know, you ha it's so hard to, and you have to put your trust in these people. You know, you're literally putting your lives in their hands, mm -hmm. and they're are abuse. They're abusing their. I don't know their position in your life. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, I mean, I also wonder what would be, how different it would be if there wasn't the for profit model in yeah. the healthcare mm -hmm. industry. Like how that would change behavior. Yeah, yeah, it 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 does uh, beg the question, right? But yes. I wonder how it how is it like, let's say, in Canada or mm -hmm. Australia? You know, are they more honest? Sure. I mean, you know, 
who knows? Yeah. But there's, there's way too much money at stake. Yes. For them. Wow. Whew. That's a lot to think about. Yeah. yeah, it is. But like I said, hopefully I'll, I'll report back with, uh, good news yes. from this uh, mobile unit and I'll, I'll um, give you the information Please do. on it. You could let uh, your listeners know. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for for having me. Yeah, thank you and, so uh, much for calling in. Yeah. All right. <sighs> okay. Uh, well, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You as and, well. Uh, and uh, I'll be in touch. Sounds great. Take care. Okay, thanks. Right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Oh, big thank you uh, to Anne for calling in. Um, wow, uh, lots of vulnerability to be able to you know to be able to call in and, and share that information. So thank you so much. And I would imagine that many people are affected in one way or another by whew, uh, just uh, having difficulty finding the language here. Um, but I really do appreciate if everyone can t- has a chance and opportunity to tell their stories. I think more of us will realize that we are not alone. It is one uh, forty-one, so we will be wrapping up the show. I did want to get to some more news stories I'm going to push through. Um, so I do appreciate uh, folks who are uh, still listening in, who are listening in. Um, I guess one can always take breaks while listening to the show. Um, I did want to kind of going off from the that conversation about uh, money and how that affects healthcare. There's an article that was posted in popular.info on May 15th. It's a public post. The corporations backing Alabama's war on women. On Wednesday, Alabama... Wow, I'm... Okay, it's the end of the show. (laughs) My words are like... um, They're kind of melding into each other. So I will say... Folks, um, please do check out this article. I will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna browse it and I'll share some details from it. But again, please do check out the full article if you go to popular. Info, and you can see this article, which was posted on May 15th. And I'm gonna go down the list and see. Coca-Cola supports the Republicans behind Alabama's abortion ban. Coca-Cola CEO Mutar Kent promotes himself as a feminist and gave an impassioned presentation on the topic of at the women's global forum meeting um and da, da, da. however uh coca-cola donated two thousand five hundred dollars to ainsworth on september 4th 2018 and two thousand dollars to read on november 5th 2018 and i believe these folks were mentioned earlier on in the article here yeah, so Majority Leader Greg Reed is one of the people who sponsored the bill, as well as Lieutenant Governor Will Ainsworth. Ew, he's fucking gross. They also quote Will Ainsworth. I'm not even going to repeat his fucking nonsense. Super gross. So Coca-Cola, so boycotts, another way to have an impact. Um, don't drink Coca-Cola products. Uh, there we go. That's one way. Uh, write them, tell them that. Be like, hey, fuck you for doing this. Oh, AT&T. Wow. Uh, it's, it's always amazing when there's a corporation I already, like, 
I already hate. They there's more of a reason to despise them. AT&T supports the Republicans behind Alabama's abortion ban. AT&T's corporate website stresses the importance of women to the company, promising to they're fucking liars. Oh my gosh. Excuse me. Make sure women at AT&T feel supported in everything they do, except I guess if they want to get health care, fuckers. Um, the company's chief diversity officer, Corey Anthony, said, we have many, okay, blah, 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 blah. So they're, they're lying pretty much and saying, we have female leaders, blah, 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 blah. Equality, AT&T, they pay a, pay a lot of lip service. However, over the last six years, AT&T has donated $10,000 to Ainsworth, $5,000 to Shambliss, another person who sponsored the bill, $2,250 to Ledbetter, $2,000 to McCutcheon, and $2,500 to Reed. Exxon, the ones who knew about global warming decades ago and decided, we don't care, we're making money. Fuckers. <sighs> Exxon supports the Republicans behind Alabama's abortion ban. And of course, once again, this is they show just how these companies put out these statements saying that they're inclusive and they support women. And then they go ahead and they throw money at folks who sponsor bills like this, that harm women and non-binary folks and trans folks. It harms everyone when folks don't have health care. Fuckers. <sighs> Excuse me. Over the last six years, Exxon has donated $1,000 to Ainsworth, $1,000 to McCutcheon, $2,000 to Reed and $500 to Ledbetter. Pfizer also, Pfizer, again, similar thing. They um, say that they're committed to uh, health care for women. And sure enough, they d- Pfizer donated $1,000 to Shambliss in December 2017, $500 to Reed in January 2018. Walmart, fuck Walmart. We already knew that. Uh, it doesn't pay their workers enough. That's one of the many. And then the fucking families oh, have ex- exorbitant amounts of wealth, which no one should have in the world. That's my one thing. No one should have exorbitant amounts of wealth while their workers uh, don't have enough to feed themselves and their families and some are homeless. It's fucked up. Fuck Walmart. All right. Okay, so Walmart also donated $2,000 to Ledbetter, $3,000 to McCutcheon, and $2,000 to Reed. Boeing supports Republicans behind Alabama's abortion ban. Again, they insist that they're empowering women, quote-unquote. However, in 2017, the company donated $2,000 to McCutcheon and $1,000 to Reed. State Farm uh, also saying that they're great, they're inclusive, and they have donated $5,000 to McCutcheon in 2018, $1,000 to Chambliss in 2017. Eli Lilly same thing they say that oh god their 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 quotations are so fucking ridiculous they're such 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 bullshit okay Eli Lilly donated three thousand dollars to McCutcheon in two thousand eighteen and one thousand dollars to Reed in twenty seventeen Caterpillar supports Republicans um, also they say that they're all we want to help people and then they donate money they donate to Ainsworth in twenty fourteen other companies I'll just read down the list here. Comcast, which you know is super fucking evil. Uh, there's a tobacco maker named Altria. They did as well. Fantasy sports site DraftKings. Fuck them. Coke Industries. Not a surprise there. Fuckers. Also, check out the book Dark Money by Jane Mayer. And they the book talks about the history of the Coke brothers and how they've just got thrown money at, at politicians and with lobbyists and everything. And just they've moved forward to pass restrictive bills like this. There's a health insurance giant, Caremark. Um, they've also donated to McCutcheon. Anheuser-Busch has donated to 1000 And then they updated on May 16th. Um, and this was, you can also find this if you follow um, 
Judd Legum on Twitter, and that's at J-U-D-D-L-E-G-U-M. Um, the corporate contributors to Governor Ivey, who is the one who signed this into law. Uh, here are the corporations backing Governor K. Ivey, who signed the ban into law. BCBS Association, which Blue Cross. I am, there's no camera here, but if you could see my face. Uh, AT&T, uh, Lilypad, uh, State Farm. Walmart, Boeing, Comcast, Pfizer, ExxonMobil, and Coca-Cola. So the ones that we mentioned earlier as well. Oh, goodness. Goodness, goodness, goodness. Um, really disgusting. So yeah, Eli Lilly is the ones that go by. Lilypad. And ugh, on their Twitter profile, they have two women of color uh, fo- you know, featured in their, uh, in their Twitter profile. Uh, profile oh goodness just a bunch of fucking lies so if you're also up for just trolling folks on twitter that's one way to do it go to these companies and be like y'all are fucking just fucking up it's the end of the show so that's why my (laughs) vocabulary is moving in the way where it's pretty much swearing every other word that's kind of where i'm at there will be no women's magazine and common thread collective this week um, but please do stay tuned. They'll be back next week. They're up every other week. And check out the archives. They're the archives. I'll shout out the archives here, Mutiny Radio. You can hear the previous shows that have happened here. This show goes back to 2013. Um, we have up to 2015 those shows available for the archive. We'll get the other ones up at some point. Maybe. I'd like to. It'd be great. So we did hear back from the person who called in, and she has shared that the place that has the mobile breast screening unit in New York, New York City, is www.americanitaliancancer.org. Um, so for folks in New York, that is another place where folks can go for care. So again, the place for mobile breast screening unit is www.americanitaliancancer.org. So thank you for sharing that information. <sighs> All right. I'm going to also just read the headlines of the articles that I didn't quite have the energy wherewithal to read. So folks can please check um, check it out if you'd like. Share the information. Again, theappeal.org, which has a lot of great articles on there. This article from May 15th, 2019, written by Jonathan Ben uh, Menachem, and that is, Incarceration is Always a Policy Failure. So check that out. And also, uh, four simple steps the U.S. media could take to prevent a Trump war with Iran by uh, Mehdi Hassan, and that's from The Intercept on May 17th. And I'll just go through and I'll read the bullet points right now. The article is a lot longer and has much more information. Uh, One is stop the stenography. Simply passing along the claims of U.S. officials to readers or viewers without checking whether they are true or not is not even close to the definition of journalism. Reporters are not supposed to be stenographers to the people in power. They're supposed to hold power to account. And I guess this also just loops back to the last uh, article about the corporations that fund the Republicans who pass abortion bans is that you can say one thing and you can be totally fucking lying okay and they also reference the gulf of tonkin when the u.s lied and also the first gulf war um the false congressional testimony about kuwaiti babies fucking fuckface w who's still around and even though he's a fucking war criminal 
Gross. Okay, so that's one one thing to do. Two, get your facts straight. Iran does not have nuclear weapons. Iran does not have a nuclear weapons program. Iran has complied with the terms of the nuclear deal. Um, and then number three, context, context, context. We are constantly shown images on our TV screens of Ar- Iranians burning the U.S. flags and chanting death to America. But wouldn't it be useful if journalists also provided much needed context to this long running conflict between the United States and Islamic Republic? Could they try to explain to their readers or viewers how there are legitimate and long-standing grievances on both sides? After all, how many Americans are aware of the fact that the Eisenhower administration toppled the democratically elected government of Iranian Prime Minister Mohammad Mossadegh in a CIA coup in 1953? Or that the Carter administration offered safe haven to the repressive dictator, the Shah of Iran, after he fled from the Iranian Revolution in 1979? Or that the Reagan administration helped Saddam Hussein's Iraq use poison gas against Iranian forces in the Iran-Iraq War? Or that George H.W. Bush's so hard for me not to say fuckface in there. Uh, Administration refused to apologize to Iran after a U.S. Navy warship shot down an Iranian civilian airliner, killing all 290 passengers on board. Isn't that hard for journalists? It isn't isn't that hard for journalists to provide historical context in their reporting. Uh, Four. Get better sources. Why only quote or rely on administration officials or men and women in uniform or folks from hawkish DC think tanks? Why can't we hear from skeptical and anti-war voices too? From Iranian Americans, perhaps? Uh, a month before the Iraq invasion in February 2003, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, or FAIR, produced a study of 393 on-camera sources who had appeared in stories about Iraq on network news. According to FAIR, a whopping 3 out of 4, 76% sources were current or former government and military officials compared to a minuscule 6% of sources who were skeptics about the need for a conflict with Iraq. Meanwhile, less than 1%, or 3 out of 393 sources, were identified with organized protests or anti-war groups. Uh, And the the author says, I have a suggestion for reporters and anchors looking for guests and sources on the current crisis. If they got Iraq wrong, don't ask them about Iran. And then there's a little bit more here in this article. Please do check it out. It's from The Intercept. And uh, the author is Mehdi Hassan. <sighs> so, yeah. I mean, so much of it is about the mental framing and about the narrative and who gets to tell the stories. And we got f- six minutes left. And I realized there's a couple stories I didn't quite get to. One was on Twitter. I was following in Russia. Uh, folks were protesting. They're trying to build a church, I believe, um, on a public park. And so folks were protesting, like hundreds of people were protesting that. Of course, that doesn't get a lot of news coverage. And also in Brazil, um, I, oh, ooh, I want to find the numbers, but many, many people, um, more than thousands, uh, maybe hundreds of thousands, I'm not sure, please don't quote me on that, but many students are protesting, have been protesting against Bolsonaro, who's like the fascist right-wing leader in Brazil. And I did want to find that and share that um, information as well. So, again, uh, I guess I guess I'm plugging myself on Twitter, even though it's managed by. Ugh, gross. Okay, I'm gonna finish the sentence. Uh, 
Jack Dorsey, who's the CEO of Twitter, they, so Proud Boys and far right folks have been kicking off journalists um, who fight back against Nazis. And so Twitter's are pretty, can be a really toxic place, saying it, saying the least. Um, and also folks share information on there. So putting that out there, uh, there's a same-sex marriage bill in Chile, which was going up. Um, and also it was passed uh, in Taiwan. So um, yeah, okay. So obviously there's a lot to get to and trying to share as much as we can here. And um, yeah, it looks like civil unions have been... Um, so I don't have that full article. Um Um, exactly as I don't have it right in front of me. However, um, yeah, folks do the research, I guess that's one thing to do. Do the research. Follow me on Twitter at R O M A N R I M E R. I share a lot of news articles. Thanks for being, uh, thanks for being you living in the world. Really appreciate the caller calling in, sharing this really important information about healthcare. Thanks to all the folks advocating for healthcare for everyone, just healthcare for everyone. And with that, I'm going to sign off. Please do keep listening to Mutiny Radio. And, uh, well, it's a sad song, but that's what we got. And we'll be back next week. Uh, have a great week, everybody. When I was eight, I had a friend with a pirate smile. Make believe and play, pretend we were innocent and wild. Hop the fence and slam the gate, running down my alleyway in time to watch Sally's pigeons fly. We love to watch them dive and soar, circle in the sky. Free as a bird from three to four and never knowing why.
it's a frame with a photograph. Two little girls in home.